I'm always glad of this extra foot that I have. Is the mic on okay? Are we all right, Jason? I'm trusting Jason a lot this morning uh, because I usually use my computer and I'm using yours. But I'm trusting the Lord. That's the main thing. And I hope you are. And today, it's my privilege to be... I'm so glad to be a boulevard. You know, this is our home church in Florida. This is where Jane was baptized. She thinks back to that great day. She said it was a rough ocean, but those elders were strong. <laughs> and uh, we're glad to be back. And I'm glad you assigned me John chapter 3, except this thing isn't doing it. Come on, brother. Yes, there you go. Wonderful life. Uh, Malcolm suggested I talk on John 3. I see in the bulletin you're only discussing till verse 21. You miss uh, the best part of the chapter. Actually, I'm doing the whole chapter. End of two and all of three. As, it, you know, it's a long time since I preached on John 3, and it's a fantastic chapter. What a blessing it's been to me. I've got to tell you one thing. Uh, Jane found out after she married me, uh, late in life, we got together and she discovered that I have a few weaknesses. I didn't tell her before the wedding, but uh, one of them is actually buying high-tech electronic gadgets. Uh, and well, I'll get home with a fancy new camera and, and I ignore all the attempts to explain it. This thing is going slow, brother. What? Every time you see me wave my hand, move the slide on. I don't know what's going on here. I got pictures of... You'll have to do it for me, brother. This this remote, you know, you got uh, gypped when you bought this thing. There you go. <laughs> uh, when I get home with this thing, I got to... You know, I ignore all this stuff about ISO and shutter speed and aperture and all that stuff. I look for the Get Your Started leaflet. Because when you buy these things, there's always a guide to the essentials. A leaflet says simple things like turn dial four to the green arrow, press the red button five, uh, and take the picture in auto setting. And before you know it, I got a wonderful picture. It, there are easy to understand steps to do this. Now when it comes to, hey, that's great, it worked. When it comes to understanding the gospel, you could draw triangles, but I gotta tell you, understanding doctrinal details, uh, maybe about the Trinity, it's not an easy place to get started. Uh, and what I wanna tell you this morning, this chapter, this wonderful chapter, John 3 is a great chapter to get you started. This is really the get you started leaflet for understanding Wonderful things about the gospel. There are three steps, simple steps. When it comes to the essentials of the Christian faith, three vital steps, things you must do and believe to be really a genuine Christian, one who is accepted by God, one who finds joy in walking with God, and that's what I call a wonderful life. Step number one, the first 18 verses, is, is God's plan of salvation. I mean, it starts with new birth, when you believe in the Lord Jesus. That's number one. But of course, it goes on. Step two, 19 through 21, it's, we have to practice the truth. What this chapter teaches is if you're a born-again believer, it leads to walking in the light of God's word, so it becomes obvious God is at work in your life. But it doesn't stop there. That's why... Don't neglect from verse 21 to the end of the chapter because 
it leads to giving a special place to Christ in your life. Christ becomes preeminent in your life. So it begins with a new birth. And then we walk in the light of God's word. And then wonderfully, Christ becomes number one. And one of the kids recited that great verse. And like all good, get you started leaflets, John did a summary at the end. The last verse is a summary statement. Verse 36, the very last verse says, Those who believe in the Son have everlasting life. Those who don't believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in them. Man, that's not a hard verse to understand. It's a statement about what it takes to be included in God's kingdom and, and of course, the consequences of unbelief. So it's a great get-you-started leap and we're going to go through it this morning. The plan of salvation, the first 18 verses, and it's all about this guy called Nicodemus at the beginning, and it's important for you to note that Nicodemus was a leading figure among the Pharisees. And that explains a lot, you see, because of his position and the difficult... The, the Pharisees had all kinds of difficulties with Jesus because, well, he healed on the Sabbath. He hung around with sinners. And so Nicodemus was understandably fearful of the reaction of all his colleagues. What will they think if I go and see Jesus? So he snuck off to see Jesus privately under the cover of darkness. And that's an encounter that would take some planning. It wasn't a chance encounter. He planned to do this. Now you need to know, and I'm sure most of you do, and don't forget that Jesus bluntly criticized the Pharisees because of their hypocritical public displays of righteousness. You know, the righteousness of these Pharisees, many of them, Nicodemus was a bit of an exception, and we'll see that, but many of them, it was all to do with ticking off the boxes, following the rules. In fact, by the time Jesus came, the Pharisees had worked out there were 613 rules that had to be kept, and many of them did. You, you know that for Jews it was mandatory that they fast on the Day of Atonement every year. Once a year they would fast. But by the time Christ came, these Pharisees, they were up to twice a week. That's over a hundred times a year you were supposed to be fasting. And they spent their time debating stuff. You know, they debate whether you could eat a le an egg laid on the Sabbath. After all, the chicken labored to, to lay the egg. Could you eat it? The conclusion, no, you can't eat it, but you can sell it. That's, that's the stuff they got into. Some of the Pharisees would stand and pray out loud in the temple so everyone would notice, and they'd make a lot of noise when they gave the money so they'd be noticed. Now, you need to know that because it led Jesus... This is our Lord, gentle Jesus, to cry out in Matthew 23 as background to this passage. I'm going to read the whole passage to you. This is the words of Jesus. Listen to this. He said, Vote you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, middle, mint, dill, cumin, but you neglect the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside with a cup and dish, but inside full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law, 
Pharisees, you hypocrites, you get like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people to be righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I mean, wow. No wonder Nicodemus came at night. <laughs> That's the stuff the Lord was saying about Pharisees. Now, I've got to tell you. Well, uh, I didn't want that. That's it. That's good. i got to tell you, in Nicodemus' case, there's every indication he was honestly searching. He was questioning. He was ready to recognize. He said, Lord, you're a teacher come from God. Now, do remember this. Jesus promised that honest seekers uh, would find. Uh, and it is clear to me, and you'll discuss this perhaps tonight, that after reflecting on the Lord's words, Nicodemus got the message and accepted the Lord. I say that because... Actually, you meet Nicodemus twice more in John's Gospel. Here he he sneaks in in the dark at night, but he's a changed man later. In John 7, John 7, 45 through 52, he stands up and he speaks for Jesus in front of the peers. All the Pharisees are there and he says, you've got to listen to this man. But more than that, i got to tell you, listen, it's amazing really. Well, where are we here? John 19. It records Nicodemus is one of two disciples who tended the crucified body. You know, he brought a hundred pounds of perfume to prepare it for burial. And that's so encouraging. Listen, if you are seeking truth this morning, if, like Nicodemus, you feel a bit puzzled or you're hesitant, I want you to be encouraged today because, just like Nicodemus, you can reflect on what we say, you can respond... And if you do, you'll be totally changed. It'll be a new life. It won't be trouble-free. Don't ever think the Christian life is trouble-free. Where people get that from, I never know. But it's still wonderful. That's why I call this a wonderful life. Now, now what was the message that Nicodemus had to get? You know, you get to this chapter, very abruptly, Christ says in verse 3, something, he suddenly says this, uh, And what he said is actually totally different from anything you've ever heard from any other religious teacher. I don't care what religion you look at. It's not about moral reform. It's not about doing this or doing that. As religious teachers say, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. All other religious teachers insist on this stuff. But Jesus declared the heart of the gospel and the heart of the Christian gospel is the truth You can't reform yourself. You can't do it. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The gospel, the Christian gospel, is a message of life to spiritually dead people. Now, dead people can't do anything. Spiritually dead people, they're like the walking dead. You know, in the movies they call them zombies. (laughs) Walking dead. I don't believe in zombies, but I sure know what the Bible teaches about us spiritually. Uh, And Jesus taught to Nicodemus, he said, look, you've got to get a new life. You've got to experience really a heart transplant. What he makes it clear is this, that the gospel is, is it's not about transformation, doing the best job. It's about reformation. It's so radical. It's so radical that Jesus calls it being born again. It's a totally new beginning. 
Three times in these chapters, Jesus said, you have to be born again. Verse 3, verse 5, verse 7, you have to be born again. And he repeated it. Why did he repeat it? He repeated it because it remains the essential step for entering the kingdom of God. He repeated it because it's the only way for fallen humans to enter the kingdom of God. You've got to be clear about that. Now, Nicodemus was a successful man, he was a smart man, he was well respected, he was making every effort to meticulously keep all these laws, the law of God. He was a good man. And to this man, to this man, the man who was noted for being righteous, Jesus said, hey, you need a supernatural change. You need a change that's like a rebirth. You need a change that completely remakes you, and only God can do that. That's the gospel. Now, a little sideline here. Don't let this statement in verse 5, you can talk about it tonight, about entering the kingdom of God by being born of water and the Spirit. Don't let it lead you into the error of thinking baptism is necessary for salvation. A lot of people teach that from this verse. I mean, this is a classic case, by the way, of never letting a scripture you can't understand interfere with one you can understand. When you run into trouble with a Bible verse, you interpret with other verses that you can understand. And there's a classic case, because scriptures are clear about salvation, being dependent only on repentance and faith in Christ. <clears throat> so what Jesus is talking about here is one action, not two. One birth where we're born from above. The water here is the living water that Jesus promised the woman in, at the well in the next chapter, living water. And the water and the Spirit stand together for the cleansing and strengthening power of Christ. We're saved by responding to Christ uh, and the cleansing of his forgiveness that wipes out our sin comes along with a gift of the Spirit that releases us from the bondage of sin in the future. Now, baptism is important. That's why we rejoice when James is baptized here. Because it's an act of obedience after we're born again. And it's a wonderful symbol of what took place when we were born again. And of course Christ acknowledged, look in verse 8, he said this is a mystery because it's about spiritual change. Not physical change. I'm a chemist, I was a retired chemistry professor, I was into chemical changes and physical changes, but not spiritual changes. That's where you go to the word of God. It's about a spiritual change. Because... Well, Jesus said flesh will always remain flesh, but the spirit, that can be transformed. And it's a process that really is, for us, mysterious. Jesus said it's like the wind that blows you. It's invisible. You don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going. Because the transformation that the gospel brings is God's work. The transformation the gospel brings is God's work. And I've got to tell you, it's supernatural. It's powerful. It's actually more than a wind. It's like a gale-force wind that rearranges everything. And that's why it's a wonderful life. Don't think conversion's trivial. It's it's life-changing. You see, the gospel makes us into new people that live in a new way. People who know where they're going. People who have an indwelling power within them. And, you know, Christ described that in other places, in the famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6. That was quoted already this morning. Jesus says this, very important. 
He said, well, I'm not calling you to follow a whole new set of laws. No, no, he said, I'm calling for you, for you to behave in a new way because you've been transformed by the gospel. So being a Christian isn't like an add-on to who you are. It's not an add-on to what you once were. It's the result of a God-initiated transformation that forever unites you to Jesus Christ, united like a limb is united to the body, or a branch is united to a tree, permanently united. And not only that, and we hinted that in the first service, it equips us you to mature and grow. Our brother talked about growing, growing in your faith, because if you're a born-again believer, you really want to please the Lord. And if you don't want to please the Lord, you should talk to us. Now, I want you to know this wonderful thing here. As Nicodemus was struggling to understand all this, what do you mean being reborn? Uh, there were astounding statements, and, and, and Nicodemus is still thinking of physical birth. So Jesus gives him a clear example from the Old Testament to help him. And in verse 14, Christ reminded Nicodemus of an event in the history of Israel that Nicodemus would know very well. He knew the Old Testament backwards, and Jesus said, said to him, you, he didn't give the Bible verse like we do, but you think of Numbers 21. That story where the brass serpent was raised in the wilderness and the Israelites could look at it in order to be saved from death. And Nicodemus would be running the verses. Oh yes, Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten anyone when they looked at the serpent of brass, they lived. Famous incident. And Jesus said, look, as Moses lifted up the serpent... Even so must the Son of Man, must I be lifted up. And we heard from Dave this morning, that draws people, how he drew Nicodemus. You know, that's a, that's a wonderful lesson to us, that the Lord did that. The Old Testament illustration is a lesson in witnessing. Because the Lord knew all that Nicodemus knew. He, he drew him into the story by telling him something he's very familiar with. And it's a wonderful example of the Lord anticipating the future, what witness, what Nicodemus would witness when he saw Christ lifted on the cross. You see, the, the cross and the serpent, Nicodemus would put them both together. And by the way, the Lord not only uses this illustration in his encounter with Nicodemus uh, to, to help Nicodemus, using something Nicodemus was familiar with, and do that when you're witnessing. Find connections with people. But more than that, you know, this illustrates the end of chapter 2. I see you're supposed to be discussing that tonight too, but the great illustration is here. The last verses, last two verses of John 2, they remind us the Lord needs no one to tell him what's going on in the heart and mind of people he deals with. It says at the end of John 2, he knew what was in man. Don't forget that. You can't hide from God. You know, sometimes I'm telling God, you know, repenting, telling God what's in my heart. These days I say, oh Lord, you know. <laughs> I don't, I can't hide it from you. He knows what's in man and the Lord, the Lord was anticipating 
knowing Nicodemus' heart, at that moment which was still to come when Nicodemus would see him lifted on the cross and he knew that the serpent incident would make the truth of his death clear to Nicodemus. Nicodemus at this point was puzzled, but when he saw Christ crucified, thought of the serpent, it all clicked in. And Nicodemus' bold stand after the crucifixion, caring for the body of the Lord, had took courage. But that courage came after he'd looked at Christ on the cross. And thinking about the meaning of the serpent on the pole, he realized what the Lord meant. And I've got to tell you, folks, you might have all kinds of ideas about getting to heaven, but it's looking to and responding to the death of Christ that gives life. I mean, it's amazing. You know the, the story of the cross? A confessed thief, a clock. And the righteous Nicodemus couldn't be more contrasting. Those two, the ones were transformed at the cross. And that's why verse 15 of John 3 says, Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Look, if you, if you, I'm not suggesting I've got a bunch of crooks and criminals here, but if you think you're a sinner, you're the one. And if you think you're righteous, you're the one Jesus died to save. And what follows that serpent illustration in verse 15 through 21, it's the most clear and forthright statement of the gospel message you could have. And it has that famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, the Bible, God's word has more than 30,000 verses in it. But the verse above all others that's captured the attention of the world, at least the Western world, and it has a solid place in pop culture, John 3.16. I want to just explore that for a couple of minutes. It's, it's uh, interesting because many people credit the rise in the knowledge of John 3.16 to a man who gained notoriety. There was a guy in the 70s who caught the world's attention. Let's get the right picture. This character caught... And everyone's attention because he, he, he displayed John 3.16 at, at the uh, 1977 NBA Finals. And after that, it became a popular thing to try to sit in the end zone and show John 3.16. Um, and, and, and it really took off. I mean, a popular country music singer, Keith Urban, um, he wrote a hit song that said John Cougar, John Deere, and John 316. He put, and actually when you go into the Forever 21 clothing store, if you ever shop there, not my taste in clothes, but, uh, <laughs> they put John 316 on the bottom of the shopping bags. It's a Korean uh, couple that own that who are believers. Some friends of theirs probably here today, but uh, I gotta tell you, it's created a problem for them, by the way, because a lot of people are going online and saying, hey, there's a conflict between Christian values and cutting the work of benefits. Hey, if you're gonna be a Christian, you've gotta live it as well as say it. But the big incident, of course, you might remember, was in 2009, Tim Tebow is a quarterback with the Florida Gators then, he painted John 3.16 on his eye black just before a televised game with the Oklahoma Sooners. Big game. Uh, when I Googled that, if they claimed that 94 million people saw that and Googled John 3.16 on the internet. 
And they said to Tim afterwards, well, why do you put that there? He said, because this verse is the essence of Christianity. It's the essence of our hope. And he's right. It's the essence of our hope. John 3.16, we'll get Tim off now, think about it. John 3.16 provides a stunningly succinct summary of the way of salvation. How to have assurance. Assurance that you have an eternal relationship with God. This verse captures, it captures the heart of God, his love for mankind, sending Jesus. It, it says, well, there's nothing you can do to stop God loving you. It demonstrates how true it is that God is love. You read that verse, you go, wow. I mean, it's an astounding verse. And I've got to tell you, Nicodemus in his day and Tim Tebow in our day and many give testimony to the fact that the new birth radically changes our lifestyle. You want to read some of the Gideon testimonies, go on the internet. Prison guys, hardened criminals, thinking they were stealing a Bible from the chapel. Eh? Read John 3.16 and their lives transformed. D.L. Moody, the famous preacher, he said it wasn't until he heard Henry Morehouse, the, the, the stalwart brethren would know these stories, not until Henry Morehouse preached on John 3.16 for a solid week on God's love that I really understood the greatness of God's love. He said, I couldn't keep back the tears because if there's one thing that draws people more than anything else in the world, it's love. And I've got to tell you, it's, don't neglect the fact that the new birth gives a wonderful eternal destiny and it transforms you to be with and like Christ. You know, I, I'm old enough to think about, I hope I'm with it when I die and I can give the last word to my grandchildren. But you never know. Who knows? But I know this, that for my believing family members, I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm going to say, good night. I'll see you in the morning. And you imagine that. If you're an unbeliever and you came, I'd have to say goodbye. Don't do it. It's tough to do that. But John 18 says, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Don't neglect it. And let me say this, we need to be careful. Uh, don't just give intellectual assent. Yeah, I believe that verse, great verse, lovely verse. No, no. It, i got to tell you, it's not just about right belief over righteousness. It's, it's just not an easy way to assure you what we call get justified right with God without what we call sanctified living rights. And that's why, and very quickly, I'm going to go a few minutes over because this is such a chapter. But... Real faith leads to practice of the truth. You see, step two is new birth leads to walking in the light of God's word. And it's obvious that God's at work in your life. So it's not just, a, 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 you know, I believe that stuff. In fact, John three nineteen to 21 is a summary of the state of the world. It, it says people love darkness because of their evil deeds. They want to hide them. But it says for us it's different. And it is different. Listen, if you're a believer, Scripture says in Colossians 2, God has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you in, into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And this is such an important verse because it said, if you've seriously responded 
to the light of the gospel and not just believed the verse but believed in Jesus, the evidence will be clear and you'll be living out what Jesus told us to do in the Sermon on the Mount to let our light shine before men so they see our good works and glorify our Father. You see, if you seriously try to live to please Christ, it's going to show. It's going to show in your face. It's going to show in your whole attitude to people. You'll, you'll find it hard to keep quiet when people are struggling at work to talk about the meaning of life. But I, I'm challenged because, you know, Matthew 5.16, the Sermon on the Mount, John 3.21, they force you to ask yourself, ask yourself this, what are you hiding that you should be displaying? I mean, do you hide your love for Jesus? If the talk about religion comes up at work, do you feel a bit uncomfortable? I don't want to say Jesus is the only way. I mean, it's not politically correct. We sometimes sing, shine, Jesus, shine. Listen, pray it as well. Pray that God would shine in your life. Because the bottom line, and I've left those important verses to the end, but they're so important. Number three. The bottom line, the real test, the vital test of the reality of the new birth is the place you give to Christ. You should have a discussion on other stuff. You can talk tonight about whether Jesus ever baptized and do those verses, uh, verse 22 and so forth. I'm going to skip over those. Time is gone. And get right back to verse 32 because there are some foundational statements about the character of Christ. You listen to these. Twice, John says, John the Baptist is such an example of, of the place we should give to Christ. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. Twice. Verse 32, he says, Jesus testifies what he's seen and heard. I'm going ahead. Verse 34, the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for Christ is given the Spirit without limit. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son, placed everything in his hands. These are statements about Jesus. In fact, there was two more before that. I should go back to 29 and uh, just say, there's something about your attitude to Christ. Verse 29, we read, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, the friend who attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He's calling you to wait and listen to the Lord. Be joyful when you hear his voice. Because the next verse, he must become greater, I must become less. Listen, John the Baptist's attitude to the Lord is a wonderful example of how you and I should respond to Christ. I mean, verse 29, John says, look, he's a close friend. You should wait on him. You should listen to him. You should find joy in your relationship with him, especially when he speaks to you. In our case, it's through the Word and the Holy Spirit. And it's a challenge. Listen, how much of your day is spent waiting and listening for the Lord Jesus? We live a scrambled life. How much of your joy in life comes... And he's bound up in hearing his voice. Can you go through days? I didn't hear a thing from the Lord. I mean, you sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. How real is that? 
Well, John said he's a friend. We listen to him. And I just pray this statement of John the Baptist will be increasingly true in your experience. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears his voice. And verse 30, what an example of how we should relate to Christ. The fact is there's no place for pride in the presence of Christ. Christ calls us to live and to respond, how? With humility. So in our attitude we always exalt and worship him. It's not so easy as you think. He must become greater and I must become less. They should be watchwords for our Christian life, but, you know, it's human nature. We all suffer from it. That temptation to take center stage, to, to, to be recognized for our achievements. But when it comes to Christian work, when it comes to the Christian life, there's only one, exalt him. And it's such a lesson. And, and I gotta tell you, and we must say, these statements of John the Baptist just echo that great verse in Colossians 1. They, they read like a summary list of all that Paul was saying, Jesus first in everything. Jesus first in everything. And John the Baptist recognized in verse 31 that Christ is absolutely supreme. He echoes Colossians 1, the one who comes from above is above all everything. So in your private study, don't neglect these statements about the nature of Christ. And it's so important to go back to this verse 34. The one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. If you want to hear the words of God, Jesus speaks them. Today people say to me, why is God silent? Why doesn't God speak? He has spoken. Hebrews 1, 2 through his son. And, and, and the son had the spirit without limit. That's what John says, and it's right. So he communicates all the heart of God. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son, placed everything in his hand. And that means first place, Lord of Lords. So folks, listen, this chapter, don't neglect the end. Yes, it finishes with a summary verse. It talks about everlasting life. It talks about believing in the Son. But it also talks about the wrath of God. Oh man, make sure you've got life. That you believe the Son. And if you're a Christian, take seriously. It's not just a get your starting guide at all. This chapter is a chapter to keep you going and growing to experience a wonderful and eternal life. It begins with new birth. It's shown by walking in the light of God's word, but in the end, the real evidence is a place you give to Christ in your life. Folks, I hope 1 Peter 2, 7. The words of Peter are true for you. To you who believe, he's precious. To you who believe, he's precious. Oh, I pray this morning that nobody will leave this auditorium without saying, yes, he's mine and he's precious. And I want you to affirm your faith. I'm going to try to get you to sing. I didn't warn the musicians, but with Malcolm here we can do it. I want to sing that wonderful chorus, He is Lord. And I want to sing it twice, second time with a modification. So let's do it. And let's do it from our hearts. 
He's Lord. He's risen from the dead. He's Lord. Malcolm, help us. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Now sing it again, personalize it. Folks, God's spoken. Listen. And I just want you to go out of this building today joyfully able to say, My Savior. Christ is a Savior of the world, but my Savior. Christ is my Lord. Father, help us to do this. We thank you, you've spoken. We thank you for your love. We We can't understand it, it's incredible. But we praise you for it and we ask that all of us today will renew our commitment, will show our love and will go out rejoicing. Our knees will join all the others confessing that you are our Saviour and you're Lord of all and you're our Lord. And we're grateful we can be involved in that and give you our morning praise. And that's your blessing. Praying again that every single person in this building will go out rejoicing, knowing Christ as Lord. Amen.